Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Father, I know we're going to tread into some new areas today, Lord, and maybe even a passage that I've not looked at in this way and possibly others in this room. But Lord, you are showing us that there are some things in the spiritual realm that are attached to gratitude and thanksgiving. And Lord, we want to have our eyes open this morning. We want to have our hearts um, wide open to hear the power of your word and what you're speaking to us today. God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us as we have need. I know, Lord, there is a plethora of things going on in people's lives. But Lord, would you meet us right where we're at? Would you allow us to encounter you in the power of your word and Holy Spirit come and speak to us? We pray this in your name. Amen and amen. I'm just going to mention it is dangerous to pray and to walk around with your eyes closed. I realized I was like stepping. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to fall through this thing. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. So today we're going to look at a passage of scripture. If you are um, turning in your paper Bible, I'll give you a moment here or dialing it up on your, on your phone or iPad or tablet, whatever you got. Uh, it's going to be 1 Timothy chapter 4. So as you're moving to 1 Timothy chapter 4, what we're going to be looking at, I had somewhat hinted about how Paul, when he was writing Timothy, talked about how ingratitude, right? Being ungrateful is actually attached to the things that he was talking about in the last days. You will notice the things that are happening in the end times by these 19 things he writes to Timothy. And one of them was being disobedient to parents, ungrateful, lovers of self. And and even more so, I'm going to look at a passage today that I've never heard preached around Thanksgiving, especially, but about how growing in gratitude is so important not only for our spiritual development, but how ingratitude is a devilish work in our lives. And so with that heavy statement, let's look at the scripture and see what it says to us this morning. First Timothy chapter four, starting in verse one, it says, the spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith. So Timothy is already here. He's talking about people that are living a life of faith. They're walking by faith. And he's saying there's going to be something that happens in these days where people are abandoning that life of faith. They're going to abandon the faith. He says, and they'll be following deceiving spirits. So they're going to abandon their their life of faith because they were deceived, but but deceived by whom? It says, and they're going to be deceived by these spirits and things taught by demons. That's pretty strong language. I don't know. I don't, I don't use that in my everyday vernacular. Like, kids, if you don't say thank you, you are buying into the, the doctrine of demons. You know, I don't tell them Ellie and Judah that on a daily basis. Maybe I should, according to scripture. But here, Paul is saying that literally what is happening with the abandonment of, of the life of faith is a result of the deception that is being taught by demonic doctrine. And he goes on in verse two. He says, such teachings... It's coming through people, hypocritical liars, people that are two-faced, whose conscience have literally been seared as with a hot iron. So there's these folks that are teaching what they have come to believe, and that's what we're going to get into, what Paul's going to talk about. But they themselves are living a double life because their hearts have been seared. They're literally hard-hearted or cold-hearted, if you would. And he goes on in verse 3. So what are they teaching? Paul says to Timothy, they're forbidding people to marry. 
and they're ordering them to abstain from certain foods. This is a great one to preach around the holidays, right? How to abstain from certain foods, uh, mostly pies and, and sweets and eggnog and, and some of those good things, right? But there, here Paul is saying that they're teaching, this is the doctrine of demons. Here it is. He's saying, don't get married and stay away from these things. Stay away from these things, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So there are these things that, that Paul is saying, hey, God has actually created for us to enjoy and to receive with thanksgiving. And those that know him should be able to rejoice in him that these things have been provided by him. But instead, someone has come in and, tell, and told you that no, God's window of enjoyment has narrowed post-Christ. It has come to a, a, a more narrow focus that what you can and can enjoy is not more, but is less. And so he goes on, and I think this is really interesting for us, for everything God created is good. That could be a slippery slope. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So the, for everything God has created is good has a plumb line test with this next verse because it can be consecrated by the word of God and prayer. It can measure up in the word. It's not just, hey, everything's a free for all, but no, it can be measured up by the word of God. Here we have our doctrine can be able to be measured by what is what has been accepted and canonized, right? In scripture that we know is God breathed. All scripture has been God breathed, given for the purpose of teaching, rebuking, uh, correcting, and even taking your children out apparently. But it can all be consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. And so that's where Paul leaves us here. He's saying that he makes this correlation between the demonic activity that can happen in our lives, and especially in those last days, as he says, and ingratitude. Meaning that if potentially if you're an ungrateful person, or maybe even worse, an ungrateful Christian, that you're being influenced by demons. That's what Paul's saying here. That the, the result of ingratitude is something that the devil has caused you to believe because it is literally stifling your ability to enjoy the fullness of God that he has given you and what he has created you for. And so as we look at this, I'm like, well, that sounds a little harsh. Well, tell me, how would you respond to a group of kids that never, never, ever tell you thank you, continue to demand more, are whining about not having enough, I mean, to me, after a while, it seems a little demonic too. I'll be honest, right? I mean, if my kids are just complaining, and, and even this weekend, we were like, oh my goodness, Ellie like completely forgot all these things we're doing for her. And then um, five minutes later, here we are. We had to buy her new furniture and all these things. We're trying, trying to turn an office into a bedroom because kids keep showing up at our house and they're staying. And, and so we're like, we're rearranging things. And uh, we're like, Ellie, we just dropped banked on some furniture for you. And like five minutes later, it's like, we've never done anything for her, right? And we're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And she's got a great heart. She's just in a, in a human body, right? That has not been fully redeemed like ourselves. And so we quickly forget what God has done for us, what he has provided for us. And to walk in that lane of ingratitude is where we begin to be, believe things that are not true, but are false. It is a doctrine that is not established by the one that is true, the one who is establishing truth, God, but instead by someone who would love to undermine the blessings that God has given us. And so Paul shifts the controversy to two topics, which I think is really interesting, to marriage and food. 
to marriage and food. And throughout history, I think we've had, there's always been within different cultures and societies, a division of spirit and matter, right? You could go back for centuries. We've had this debate on are things that are physical, do they hold any spiritual value? Are they literally evil within themselves? Can they have that? And, and even the ancient Greeks here, uh, they, they held this view that there are certain things within the material world that automatically have spiritual implications. And Paul is about to widen the scope for both Jew and Gentile alike, for all of us in this room today on what God has given us that can be measured by both the word of God and rejoice through prayer and thanksgiving. And so I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't necessarily see this chair as good or evil or that muffin, it's obviously evil, right? We know that, we can cast those calories out and then we can digest it and enjoy it, give Thanksgiving. But there's, there are literally things that people say, no, things in this physical world have spiritual connotations and even attachments that they are evil. But I would say that, that Paul is, is opening up this scope for us a little bit more that we are not to be able to be stifled in what we fully enjoy, but to be able to say God has given us all things, especially the things that he has created since the beginning for our enjoyment, for our pleasure. And I think that some Christians, and possibly even in this room, we don't enjoy God to his full. We have limited him on what he wants to do in our lives. We have limited him because we've believed something that isn't true. We've been duped to believe that our ability to enjoy certain things in our life is, is predetermined on, well, I don't know. It, that's, that's not the way I was raised. That wasn't the tradition in the church. That wasn't, I heard a pastor one time preach this. And, and it, it's a limited our ability to enjoy what God is trying to give us. And I would say that if the measure of your spiritual life is more regulated by what you abstain from, than what you enjoy, then you've been deceived. Let me say that again, because I lived here a long time, especially uh, in my teen years. I believe that God was more pleased with me on how much I kept myself from versus how much I enjoyed him. And so I think this is such a freedom to us. And don't, don't hear me wrong that I'm giving a license to sin. By no means, Paul would say to the Romans. Are you saying that because grace abounds all the more that we can just go out and sin all the more? By no means. But in the same token, we have pigeonholed God in the pleasures that he gives us. Remember, it is in his presence that we experience his pleasures forevermore. And we've narrowed what we can experience in his presence and what we can give thanks for by our own, our own legalism and not by God's law. Think about it. Let's go back to Adam and Eve at the beginning. Let me show you how this lack of gratitude literally shows up in Scripture as demonic doctrine. Think about it in the garden. After I take a drink, that is. So Satan, it's definitely not pumpkin spice. <laughs> I'm just, no, definitely not. So, so think about how Satan got Eve to question, right there in Genesis chapter 3, the goodness of God. Immediately, what does he get her to focus on? Not all that he has given her, but on what she can't have, right? Remember last week how we talked about how the, the literally ingratitude will, will cause us to focus on our lack, whereas gratitude allows us to be able to see the surplus and the blessings that God has given us. And so here Eve is, and she's got thousands of trees that she can enjoy, right? That she can accept with Thanksgiving. Look at everything that God has given us. 
And, and the devil comes in with this subtle lie of saying, hey, he, he's just trying to keep you from you being like him. He's trying to keep you from God-likeness. He's trying to keep you from experiencing all the goodness that is within God. He's showing her immediately that there's this lack that didn't even exist to show her the one thing that she couldn't have, taking away all the things that she could. And last week we talked about how it is our tendency to literally shift our perspective from God's abundance in our life to the lack that we have and experience. I mean, we talked about how we go to the fridge and there's nothing to eat. We go to the closet and there's nothing to wear, right? We go, we, we turn on the TV and there's, there's nothing to watch. Even though we've got tons of things available to us, there's never enough. There's n- always something that we can see as a lack versus seeing it as abundance. And if we live a life in ingratitude and focus on what we don't have, we will miss the fullness that God has called us to experience. The life that God has called us to is about abounding in what he does have for us and what he has planned for us. And Paul would say that it is literally a doctrine of demons that shifts our perspective from the abundance to the lack. From what God has said you can rejoice and and, and accept with thanksgiving to what you can't have and what I must abstain from. That this shift is literally what the devil has been doing since the beginning. And you'll see it revived in the last days. How we will be focused on what we can't have, what we don't have, what we could have done, what what happened. Instead of seeing God for what he has done for us. I want you to flip with me if you've got those Bibles again. We're going to go to Romans 1. We're continuing to talk about the power of gratitude in our lives. And Paul is writing here, I think, one of the most apologetic books of the Bible that exist. And in this first chapter, I th- this, this holds so much, um, literally, argument, so to speak, for how even the existence of God exists outside of, it, within creation itself. And this is kind of some of the verses that he's writing to uh, this Gentile church. And he's talking about how even God himself is revealed within nature. But notice what he hallmarks these people of godlessness too. He says the wrath of God in verse 18 is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Well, what about these people? They're suppressing the truth. Literally, they're holding back the truth by their own wickedness. How many of you can see this in our culture today? The, the rampant wickedness is literally causing the truth to be so far at bay that we can't even see it. We can't even tell what is truth anymore because of the, just the rampant wickedness that has blinded our eyes. And he goes on and he says in verse 19, he says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, God has made himself known to us and to all mankind, I believe, based on this verse, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and even his divine nature, they have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And he continues, okay, we get it. For although they knew God, These are people that have abandoned what they saw as truth. They neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. What? Paul, why would you even highlight that they didn't didn't acknowledge him as God and give thanks to him? Because of the demonic activity that shrouds our eyes from truth is closely linked to our inability to give thanks to God. 
ingratitude will continue. If you get in a lane, you think about it. You've been around someone that all they can think is negative. It doesn't matter how much you do for them. It's not going to be enough. They can't see it. They're not going to be able to respond in gratefulness. And you think about it, it wouldn't matter if they won the lottery, if they were literally living like Jay-Z. It would not matter what their lifestyle looked like. Their their attitude and their heart would be no different because they're locked in this, in this prison of, of ungratefulness. That's a spiritual thing. That's not a physical thing. This is a spiritual, Paul is saying this is a demonic realm that has captivated someone's heart, that has shrouded someone's eyes to even be able to see the truth. You ever tried to show someone, you're like, no, that's, I, I don't even know how you're seeing that. That's not what's happening. That's not what's going on in your life. This is normal, what you're experiencing. And they're like, and everything's just the woe is making you. The world is over because they can't see it. This is a spiritual issue that has kept them from being able to see the truth. He says, for although they knew God, they were neither able to glorify him as God, nor able to give him thanks. Their thinking became futile. Their, fu- their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they literally exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, reptiles, and so forth. And so I'll just end it right there because literally what Paul is saying is that the essence of autonomous evil man is losing sight of giving gratitude to God. Literally what is wrapped up in us being given way to our own sinful desires and pleasures that climb the Tower of Babel, you know, make yourself your own God, show that you can do whatever you can to, to provide for yourself, to be your own God and watch how it is rooted and founded in ingratitude, inability to recognize God as God, as the one who has done this, and you can neither give thanks to him because of who he is. Your eyes become darkened. You have believed a doctrine of demons, and your eyes are shrouded from the truth. Those verses go on, and literally God gives them over to their own desires, gives them over, and it goes into every perversion known to man. Every perversion, it begins to just mention what some of those are. And, but it stemmed here from the inability to see God for who he was and to give him thanks for what he has done. It stemmed from that. That's what Paul writes to the Romans. And, and I think about, man, you know, I, Michael, I'm just tired of giving God thanks for, for the things he's done. I, do I have to say thank you after everything he does for me? Well, I just wonder how that conversation would go with you and my kids. I can tell you that if, if one of my kids came up and said, Dad, we're really tired of saying thanks every time you do something for us. Well, well let me help you there. I'll just stop doing things for which you have to give thanks. And then we'll just eliminate that problem, right? If God did that, how would, you know, watch our world fall apart. Watch literally how much he is even holding together the fabric of our being, as I mentioned last week. He is holding together everything that is causing this universe to even spin. Literally, it is everything from the creation of the world that he causes to hold together. And yet you think, well, if I thank him every day for the fact that he got me up and, I, you know, and do I really have to? Well, that's a great place to start. Do you want him to miss a day? You know, do you want him to like, you don't wake up? Like, you know, just think about that. And I think so much of our ingratitude here is Paul links it. He says it is actually idolatry. They had forgotten God, and because of that, they gave themselves to idolatry. 
God had created all these things in the world for them to actually enjoy under his control, but yet they believed not the truth, but the lies and the doctrine of demons. And they began to focus not so much on the creator, but yet the created things. They began to worship not so much the giver, but the gifts, the blessings. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. They just wanted this. And that's called idolatry. And so Paul says, God finally gave them over to what they wanted. He's a gentleman. He gave them over to these lies and these ways that they wanted to walk in that had nothing to do with recognizing God for what he had done nor giving him thanks for those things. And so I would say to us today, don't blame God if you have a consistently miserable life. Possibly we hold some blame ourselves because we have abandoned giving thanks. Thanks may be where we need to go back to to see how even the circumstances in our life begin to change. Recognizing God and giving him thanks for what he has done and who he is might be the place to begin to see some things change in your life if, if that's what you're looking for. Thanks might be that important. And so I want us to look quickly at Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is going to echo a little bit of what I mentioned last week. I see two Bibles turning. Thank you. Makes me feel spiritual. I got one chuckle. All right, here we go. So Deuteronomy chapter six, it's going to echo a little bit of what we looked at in Deuteronomy eight last week, because literally Moses is going to say the same thing. God's going to speak through Moses to literally say the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over, but within the Pentateuch, within the first five books. And so here it is. It's going to sound really similar to what we read last week. Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, that promised land, he swore to your father's and so he, he um, is going to summarize who he is to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So real quick, that's where he says he's the God of the living, not the dead. I am, right, has sent you. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here it is, the, the great God I am, the, li- the God of the living, is going to take you into this land, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build. You're going to reap things that you didn't sow, is what he's saying. And in verse 11, your houses are going to be, I can attest to this, are going to be filled with all kinds of things. I don't know about good. I'm not going to underline that word for me. But anyways, my house is filled with all kinds of things, some of which need to go to Carm and and other places and that we did not provide and some we did and wells that we did not dig, a vineyard, olive groves. We looked at all that. You did not plant. So what he's saying here is you're going to eat and be satisfied. Possibly even next uh, in in a couple of Thursdays, you're going to eat and you're going to be satisfied. And these are in, in half the dishes you made and half of them you didn't. Right? You're gonna you're literally going to consume some things that you didn't provide. And God is saying here, you're going to benefit from so many things because I am doing this in your life. Everything that is happening in your world isn't a result of what you can do, but on the good grace of my goodness in your life. Watch what I can do for you. I'm taking you to a place that you couldn't take yourself. He says, be careful. There's a warning in this that you don't forget me, that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Remember where you used to be. This is one thing that I always go back to, especially when I felt, um, you know, early in my salvation, the enemy would come against me and just barrage my thoughts with, with things of, oh, you, you know, you're not really serving God. Is God even real? Or, you know, just those things that would come against you. You know, look at you still sin. You're never going to measure up. And all those lies of condemnation and doubt and, and the things that he would bring to me. What I would go back to was this right here. 
I would go back to my Egypt and I would point to my bondage. I would point to the chains that I knew I was in and I knew I couldn't set myself free from. And I would say, no, because those sound believable after a while. You know, you listen to it enough. You hear the enemy enough. He keeps, he doesn't let up. But you're like, no, wait, hold on. I remember from what God brought me from. I remember that land of slavery. I remember my addiction. I remember my sin. I remember my chains. And I couldn't get free as much as I wanted to. But God, be careful that we don't forget the Lord and believe the lies of the enemy and forget to give him thanks. He says, literally, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Take your oaths only in his name. This is literally like a little summary of the Ten Commandments here. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. He says, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. I mentioned last week how that he is actually seeking to give us grace, and he gives grace to those that are humble, those that are saying, God, I can't do it. I'm dependent upon you. And yet that exchange happens where he says that his arm is literally at a distance to those who walk in pride. And I don't believe that God is literally abhorring us that he's saying, I, I'm going to have nothing to do with you. But instead, we have turned our back on him to where he can no longer help us. We have moved ourselves out of a position to be able to accept his grace and what he wants to do in our life. And that's what I think is happening here. He puts it in a different, in a different poetic terms here that his anger, literally, God is a jealous God. He wants to be our provider. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be the only supreme God. He wants us to worship him and not the things that he's given us. He wants us to give thanks to the giver and not the gifts. He wants us to keep our eyes on the one who is doing it all and providing for us and not be duped by the lies of demons. There's probably a lot of songs about all this. Give thanks with grace. I'm not going to sing that one either. And so 1 Timothy 4.3, this is our next verse. He said, why? Why marriage? Why abstaining from certain foods? They forbid people to marry. This is the doctrine they're preaching that is from the devil himself. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The most grateful people in all the earth should be those who know God and understand and know his truth. That should be something that distinguishes us as his people is thanksgiving. You should be able to know them by their fruit. And here the fruit should be those who know God and know the truth operate in thanksgiving and can accept and enjoy what God has given them. That should set us apart. And so Ephesians 5.20 says this, he says, always giving thanks to God. This is what should abound in our lives. The Father uh, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul would write again, 1 Thessalonians, he said, give thanks in all circumstances. Don't let it be based on what's going on in your life. For this is God's will. You want to know what God's will is for you? To give thanks no matter what's going on. This is God's will for you. And so we're going to turn together to Romans 14. And just look quickly at this. It says in Romans 14, verse 6, that whoever regards one day as a special day, does so to the Lord. And whoever eats meat, does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
verse 7. For none of us live our lives alone. We do not, our, we do not live for ourselves alone, but, but literally none of us also die for ourselves alone. Because if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. And so here Paul is saying literally, that the things God has given us, the sum total of what he has given us, he's provided for us, is to be wrapped up in giving thanks for whatever he has given us. And if those feel like they need to abstain, then, then let them give thanks for what they need to abstain. But don't let that hold back those who feel like they need to enjoy. And he's talking about the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And he's talking about the things that people had tried to pigeonhole the Gentiles on what they could and couldn't do. The things that God had created for us to be able to enjoy in our lives. You know, I mentioned it last week, the, literally the epitome where Christian and I were talking about it this week, the, the lepers that were healed, that came to Jesus. And I think so much I can identify with, with my life coming to Jesus and begging him to change me, to begging him to set me free, begging him to heal me, begging him to literally, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And here were these 10 lepers that were outcast. And, and he told them, go and show yourself to the priest as it was customary that you have been cleansed. And it was on their walk of faith, as we talked about last week, that they were healed. But how many came back? Only one. And that one was yet a Samaritan. And I think so often that we, we look at those that experience God's grace and, and, and maybe even take it for granted. And we experience his goodness, and yet we just assume that it's going to happen for us. And we get so customary to thinking, oh, this is just what Jesus does. This is who he is in my life. But yet, he wants us to come back and to give him thanks. And sometimes it's those that don't expect it, a Samaritan, a foreigner to the things of God, that maybe even those that would be considered an outcast from those that would be included in God's promises that are the ones that come back and say, God, thank you so much for what you've done. For I did not expect this. Like I, I went in faith, hoping it would happen. I kind of was following the other nine and I don't know where they're at, but I'm here to give thanks. Hopefully we will be the ones that are set apart from the, from the rest of the crowd because we return to God to give thanks. I think they were busy enjoying their blessing and they forgot the blesser. And I think they were enjoying their miracle, but forgot the miracle worker. I don't want to be a part of that. And I think oftentimes many of us, God will withhold some of the things that he wants to give us because that will just be one more thing for which we will forget to give thanks. Sometimes you think about the talents and how those that went and buried them and the one who, who hid it, he literally took away the blessing, the gift, the thing that he had given him and said, no, I'm going to give it to someone who will use it the way that I designed it to be used. If we forget to come back and to give thanks for what he has given us, the talents, the, the, the blessings, there's a, there's a dam that is put up because now we are self-sufficient. We no longer need the giver. We have the gifts and we can operate within our own self-sufficiency. We're putting his arm again at a distance and saying, I don't need you. And every good gift comes from God. Every good gift comes from him. And I think about this verse. In, in, uh, I'm going to skip ahead real quick. Oops. Not First Timothy. Where is it? There you go, James 1.17. I want to read this. 
This is every good and perfect gift. Have you guys heard this verse before, right? It's pretty popular. It comes from where? It comes from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I think it's really easy this time of year um, to, to recognize what happens in the shadows because of the winter season. And, and literally as the, as the earth is rotating on its axis, you can see more of the shadows in our, in our daylight and in the transitions of day to night. And, and literally it has to do with the turning in our position to where the light is shining from, the source. And for mu- many of us, the darkness that we're experiencing, the lack of God's involvement, possibly even the goodness of his gifts, has to do with us turning away from the one that is the source of it all. And that's what we see in this verse, that God is the source of every good and perfect gift. They come down from him, the father. This is literally as a, as a dad would his child. This is a, a, a gift of relationship, saying that he does not change. If there is a a lack of what is going on between you and God and experiencing his goodness, I can tell you he's not the one that's moved. He's not the one that has shifted. If possibly you're experiencing a tough time, don't let your circumstances dictate the amount of thanks that you'll give because of how good he is. No matter what we go through, it's in all circumstances. This is the will of God for us. Goodness has to do with an intrinsic quality not an external enjoyment. And I think we miss this sometimes because I don't know about you, we, we dictate what is good based on how it feels. Did I enjoy it? Did it taste good? Did it smell good? Did, it, did I like it? And that has little to do with goodness and what God is providing for us. God's goodness has to do with the in, intrinsic quality that literally would be better translated, not our enjoyment, but our benefit because not everything is beneficial for us that may be enjoyable. I can tell you right now, all those things I'm going to be eating in a couple of weeks, the, the pumpkin pie, the chess pie, the whatever other pies, right? The, literally, the, those things are going to taste good, but they're not going to benefit me. All right, that muffin you just scarfed, right? It, I, it's going to undo all the things that I've just done these last 30 days for Whole30, right? I'm, I'm, just ge- I'm gearing up to make room. But that has nothing to do with goodness because goodness has to do with benefit. And when God does something good for us, it has to do with our benefit. What will benefit us? And it's not always what we think. These last couple of um, weeks, Candy and I have had to kind of crunch to get some vaccines that we really didn't want to get because DCS has um, mandated it in order for you to keep kids six and under. And that's a whole nother argument right there. Anyways, before I go down a rabbit trail on vaccinations, um, but we had to go get them. I'll tell you right now, those vaccines did not feel good. And there are certain routines that my kids have to go and have certain vaccines to enter school, to do this, and they do not feel good. But I am glad that we do not have measles in the U.S. anymore. I'm glad that we do not have outbreaks. <laughs> Josh, I'm not talking to you about this. <laughs> I'm glad that there are certain things that we no longer experience. I'm glad that what Jesus healed those 10 lepers of doesn't run rampant in our nation today. I'm glad that we have medicines. I'm glad that we have treatments for things, but not always do those things feel good. When my mom went through chemotherapy, she did not feel good during that season of her life, but I'm sure glad that she's beat cancer twice. I'm sure glad that she's still here because those things pay off. They have a benefit. And sometimes God will allow us to walk through some things in this life that just frankly, it stinks. But there's a payoff. There's a benefit. 
He is more interested in you looking like him and having fellowship and relationship with him. He is bent on that, that he will do things more for our benefit than he will for our enjoyment. Let's give him thanks for that. He loves us that much. Amen. And we talk about the the shifting of shadows that literally God has no changing, no shifting of shadow. This is what we call the immutability of God, that he does not change. And Job, I love what Job says. He says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. No matter what happens in my life, God, I will continue to hope in you. I will continue to trust you that you are a God full of goodness and grace. Well, it's literally as Jerusalem is falling apart. Do I even have this verse up there? I don't have it. I'm trying to find it. That, that, that um, In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah would write this. He would say, great is thy faithfulness. He's looking literally at the rubble of the city of God. He is looking at things in his life falling apart. Nothing is happening that he had hoped would be happening in his day, in his time. And yet he is saying, I will continue to trust your faithfulness. Your mercy is new like the rising sun. He would say this in lament, but yet with hope because of the goodness of God. I want to tell you a quick story about uh, one of my favorite commentators. His name is Matthew Henry. He was born in Wales, but he was mostly, he mostly pastored in England. Mostly pastored in England. Great, great place, Josh. You should visit sometime. And during the late 1600s, early 1700s is when he was pastoring. And he recounts a story of being robbed. And the thief came up and, and stole uh, his wallet and, and everything that he had in it. And as the thief was running away, it's recorded that he loudly began to say, I just want to have a moment of thanksgiving. And the thief, as he's running, is like, this is really weird. And Matthew Henry went on to say, he said, first, I just want to thank you, God. I've never been robbed before, but this was the first time. All these years, this was the first. He said, I want to thank you, God, for your faithfulness. And second, I want to thank thank you, God, that he only took my wallet and not my life. And finally, I want to thank you, God, that he took all I had, but I didn't have very much. And the thief threw his wallet down on the ground and ran off. <laughs> there's always something to give thanks for. No matter what is going on in our lives, there's, there's this, I don't want to just paint a silver lining in, in all things, but, but literally we can see the goodness of God if we'll look for it, how he's been faithful. And it's tough sometimes in the circumstances we walk through and, and we maybe need a little bit of time to get us between here and there till we can see it again. But stick close to him. Don't let your pendulum turn to where you're away from the source. Let his light keep shining on you. And in first, first Timothy, as I'm ending here, he would say, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Literally, he would say that this has been sanctified. This has been made holy. Bruce, would you come up for a moment? Make all my words sound better. He does, doesn't he? By the way, Sarah, our basis uh, was out today. <clears throat> Just saying. It's good to have you back. <laughs> so the Greek word here, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer, 
this is kind of the, the litmus said the plumb line of what we can give thanks. All things come from God, right? That are good, that we can rejoice and give thanks for. But there's this test of, can it be given thanks though within the scope of the word of God? We've got to put some parameters, some guardrails on that because we can get carried away, especially in 2019 in the U.S. He says, but if you'll take something that looks really ordinary and you'll give thanks for it, watch what I'll do with it. He said that everything good is created by God. The question is, did it really come from God? And if it did, then it is good and we can receive it. And how can we tell that it came from God? You can validate it by the word of God and say prayer over it. That's how. And so the ordinary literally become extraordinary. Ordinary things become extraordinary when they are consecrated and given to God. I think about John Chapter six says, here's this, this, this crowd of thousands of people and, and Jesus is, is uh, kind of tested by his disciples on, hey, we're about to send them away. There's no places for them to go. They're hungry. They, we've been here all day. You've been teaching. And he's like, well, then feed them. He's like, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. We've got 200 bucks and we've got thousands of folks. Jesus, what are you talking about? How are we going to feed them? And then Andrew comes up, he's like, well, I found this one boy whose mom packed him some lunch. We got that. It's still not enough. Take what you have. Jesus would tell us, take what we have and put it in my hands. Take what seems to be ordinary and watch me do something extraordinary as we give thanks for it. And Jesus would take that little boy's lunch, his his couple of fish and his five loaves, and he would literally give thanks break the pieces and give it to his disciples. And they had the groups of people sit down in groups, right? And he began to feed them. And they not only had enough, they had more than enough. They had more than they needed and they collected 12 basketfuls at the end of that day. Watch what God will do when you give him your ordinary and give him thanks for what he is doing in an ordinary way in your life. Watch him do something extraordinary in your life. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, I believe that you're asking us to prioritize thanksgiving and gratitude in our lives. Lord, would you help me to decrease my complaining and my natural tendency and perspective and my sinful nature to look at lack? But instead, God, I want to face the source. I want my my life to be facing towards you, the, the shiner of all light and good things in my life, Lord. God, I just pray for each and every one of us. I know there are folks that, yes, this, this helped us today, but they're walking through some tough times. And Lord, I believe there are some things in their family that they're believing for. They're believing for some, some addictions to be broken, some relationships to be restored. God, I believe there are some finances. They're believing for some miracles health-wise. God, I know in this house, Lord, there are folks that have walked in here with some things that are heavy on their heart. And Lord, I want to join them now. And if that's you, if you're in this house and you're saying, God, I got to have a miracle. I am desperate for you to show up. I'm giving you something that looks really ordinary, possibly just trampled upon, beaten down. But God, I need you to breathe fresh, fresh breath into me. I need something extraordinary. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you today. Yes. Yes, God, you see, you know. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit. I call upon you to invade our lives. It was you who would hover over the deep, formless void at the beginning of time. 
Lord, I believe there are some things that are in shambles in our lives right now that seem void of your life. Holy Spirit, would you invade them once again and in your creative nature begin to restore, begin to make things happen that they can't make happen on their own. Lord, would you meet each and every one of these folks that raise their hand, Lord? You know what's going on in their heart of hearts. Would you meet family members that are desperate for you to to move in their lives? Would you meet them, God, in their own need for connection, God, and and just, Lord, and seeing that, that they're surrounded by folks that care about them and love them. Lord, would you minister to them right now? Remind them of your presence. Give them a touch from heaven that you're not far. Remind them that you're faithful, that you are near. And God, in this house, I just pray as we walk out of here, God, would you allow us to not buy into the lies of the enemy, a doctrine of demons, but Lord, that we would say thanks and grow in gratitude. It is for all things we give thanks. In your name we pray, amen and amen.